You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning and welcome to the 152nd edition of Cyber Law and Business Report, broadcast live from the Internet Law Center here in the heart of Silicon Beach in downtown Santa Monica. And speaking of Santa Monica, the city now boasts broadband speed at 100 gigabits per second, making it the fastest municipal broadband in the nation. So hats off to everyone here in Santa Monica. And also, um, to quote my friend Beverly Murray, as she said today, um, you're not tired because it's hump day. You're tired because it's year 5775. That's a lot of living. So happy Jewish New Year and quit yawning to all those who observe. So um, we have a great show today. We're featuring R. O'Neill from New Media Rights. And um, I first met Art uh, a few years back go at Blog World and have been meaning to have him on the show ever since to talk about the incredible work that he does there. And um, for information about Art and our guest and the programming today, um, check out um, cyberlawradio.wordpress.com. We have a whole um, slew of information. And um, so Art Neal is the founder of New Media Rights, which is affiliated with California Western School of Law, where he also is an instructor there, a professor. And um, so, Art, are you with us? I am, I am. Good morning, Bennett. And um, sorry about the O'Neill. I was just um, I was over-Irishizing oh. you. <laughs> but um, any, no any of it. So, um, Art, you know, <laughs> so you've been doing the – how is it that you, you started the, the New Media Project? Well, I, I started the New Media uh, right uh, program. I mean, it was an idea I had in law school, actually, back in 2005, and I was just committed in law school. I saw blogs coming up. I saw, um, you know, this is even actually when I was thinking about this project, it was before YouTube, it was before Twitter, um, but already people were able to create and share all kinds of information, all kinds of new business ideas on the internet. And I was interested to see, I was one of these people, you know, I was somebody who um, created music and shared it. I was somebody who created websites and did uh, tech work. Uh, and I understood that there were a lot of people that were going to be able to share and communicate online and that legal issues come up in those contexts. And the mission really from the very beginning and the mission still today uh, it is there's millions of people, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people who can now speak and create and share online if they have legal questions or they need legal resources, where do they go? 
And New Media Rights tries to, and our mission is, uh, to help answer that question. And we really, um, you know, I started it because I saw this change coming uh, in the ability of, of many more people to communicate, to create things like radio shows or things like, you know, YouTube channels. Uh, and it was really about how do we provide services to those folks. Now, um, I thought when you, when the newbie rights was, was started, you know, were you already teaching at uh, Cal Western or did that happen later? That happened later. So right when I got out in 2006, I actually went to work for a consumer group, uh, Utility Consumers Action Network, and I litigated against some large telecommunications companies for a couple of years. Well, I built the new media rights project, figured out how to, uh, you know, try to get some grantors and funders behind it. And during that time, you know, I gave some talks and I, I wrote a little bit about social media and the law and Internet and law. And um, it ended up that California Western, uh, you know, was a really uh, forward-looking school and was willing to kind of bring me in and, and have me teach about these subjects after I did a series of talks where students were really, really interested here in San Diego, uh, and so then I started teaching a classroom course there, uh, and after a couple of years, we realized, um, actually by 2012, that New Media Rights had become not just a consumer advocacy program, but it, it really was a one-to-one -one legal assistance project, and it made sense as sort of a clinic model as part right. of a law school, and so with all these services we're providing, we usually have anywhere between five to eight law students who are helping us, um, you know, work with clients and, uh, you know, supervised by the attorneys that we have. Uh, and they really help us reach a lot more people than we would be able to otherwise. And that's why this summer we were celebrating 1,000 legal matters. Um, and so it made a lot of sense to join up with the school. And, and we did join up with the school back in 2012. So, um, and you were you were, you started the, the center, the New Media Rights, in San Diego, initially as well, right? Yes, that's right. And and so, um, I, one thing that I've noticed you guys do is you you do put out some some handy resources for content creators on on you know things that people frequently have questions about. You know, for example, fair use, copyright law, how yeah. to do a podcast. And, um, you know, I, I think those are, those are great resources, and, you know, I beg anyone who's interested in that should definitely go to your website. Um, but what do you find in your interactions and, and, and with the clinic, um, what are you finding that, that people really are, are coming to you for primarily? Sure. Um, well, the, the main service that we provide is the direct-to-one uh, direct -one -one legal services, and the bulk of those services are actually preventative and transactional. Mm -hmm. and. You know, it's that's the stuff I love, frankly. I have litigated cases, but over time I've realized the thing that I love is helping people avoid um, legal problems. And actually our job tends to be a little bit a little bit reverse of, of some attorneys, which is that we actually try to keep people from needing an attorney. You know, we try to keep people from needing an attorney down the line by helping them understand how they can do you know, if they do some, some, some basic things up front, they can avoid the kind of pain and trouble of a dispute, of a legal dispute, of even a lawsuit down the line. Right. And so a lot of people are coming to us saying, hey, I have this, um, you know, YouTube channel or I'm doing, you know, on the creative side, we have, typically the, the types of clients we have are, you know, creative type clients. And then we have sort of early stage tech startup type clients and then also consumer clients as well. So the creative clients, they often look like, documentary filmmakers, people who have YouTube channels, um, even people who are sharing, uh, you know, these kind of very popular sort of game review type videos that are shared on Twitch and things like that. Um, and they have questions about fair use. They have questions about music licensing, you know, questions about when can I use this clip or this piece of um, somebody else's work without permission and when, right. can, when do I have to get permission and so on the creative side, that's the typical kind of question we see. Um, and then with tech startups, you know, they bring us a business idea. And it's all about, hey, look, I'm rolling out a new website. I'm rolling out a new mobile app, uh, some other piece of technology. Right now, we're actually, um, have, you know, we've worked with 
also a fair amount of cybersecurity and, and Internet of Things. We're starting to work with Internet of Things companies, and they all have questions, a variety of questions. You know, one of the key things when you're working with a startup business uh, is a, there's very few employees at the very, very first stage, right, where somebody's doing it as a passion project out of their house right. or whatnot. And so all, a lot of those folks are independent contractors. And what a lot of people don't realize is when, when you're working with an independent contractor, um, typically the independent contractor owns what they create, technically. Exactly. So, and that's really important for folks to know. It could be anything from a logo to software that somebody's creating for you or even a video that somebody's doing for you. Uh, and, and so it's really important to know, do I need to get a contract made with all these people I'm working with early on because then you get to this stage where the business starts to grow and investors and other folks start to ask you, well, hey, do you have all the permission for all the, the, intellectual, the intellectual property, the intangible stuff that's really important to your business, the software, the video, mm-hmm. the creative content, and then people have to, you know, have to answer that question. So we help people make sure that they take care of things early. Uh, we love clients that come to us at the early stages. But we certainly do get disputes, and I think disputes, you know, a lot of informal disputes are, are something that we're well known for, especially in the takedown area. So we work with a lot of folks who get and, videos, and just and just to interrupt and in takedown. We're sure. talking the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, where people you know send a demand to take down content because it's infringing copyrights. Mostly, I mean, a lot of times we're talking about DMCA, uh, Digital Millennium Copyright Act takedowns by copyright holders. Usually we're working on the side of a, of a small remix creator who's had something taken down by a larger media company that, that doesn't like what they're doing or by somebody, frankly, who just doesn't like, you know, it might be a smaller entity, but they just don't like what's being said, even though it's otherwise legal. Uh, and, and it, but it doesn't always have to be DMCA. We, we work with a lot of folks who have community guidelines, takedowns on YouTube, uh, right now, a trending issue that really, frankly, YouTube um, is has tried to a bit, but but seems to still be struggling to deal with is uh, what are called bots takedowns. Mm-hmm. And my my colleague Terry has written some really great blogs on our site and on tech about the subject. And what happens is that people use artificial bots, like literally bots that go to a site and give fake views on YouTube, mm-hmm. um, and, and what happens is it gets identified by YouTube now, but sometimes it's actually not the the account holder that's actually paid for bots, um, and sometimes it's somebody who maliciously actually is using bots to take down a video, um, and it's, it's very, very difficult to get it back up in those circumstances. There's really almost no appeal process that works in that case, um, and then sometimes I think the system might just be uh, faulty and catching, you know, when a video goes viral, it's it's thinking it's bots, but it's actually going viral. So there are different issues. I mean, DMCA is one, but there are new, there are ever-changing ways that people kind of abuse this various systems online to get things taken down. And, and we're trying to be a, you know, we're trying to be a resource to sort of track those and to also offer people some one-to-one help with those issues. So, um, how are your clients selected? Do you, do you, do your clients pay, or is there a means test? Um, how do you determine who you right. represent? So we have all that on our on our website. When you request legal services through the contact form, there's a whole description of how we um, categorize clients, and there's you know really pro bono and low uh, and reduced fee are main clients. We have had a few uh, competitive. You know, full, we provide some competitive full fee services to folks over the years, um, to a few, to some folks. But really, most of our clients, a vast majority, are pro bono. Um, and then some clients uh, might not qualify for pro bono, uh, but they might qualify for reduced fee. And we sort of do a six point test. You know, we look at yes, we certainly look at the ability to to um, to pay for legal services and to access legal services. Uh, but we also look at the public interest uh, element of the project. You know, if somebody's doing an open source software project uh, and everybody's volunteering on the project and, you know, it's going to be released to the public uh, and so there's, you know, some kind of public good there, um, that's taken into consideration. We certainly do focus 
Uh, even though we have clients throughout the United States and internationally, we, we do focus on uh, Southern California and California particularly, um, and, partic- and, and definitely the, the San Diego region. Probably about 65% of our clients are in California, um, but we do have many clients throughout the country as well. And um, and and so in in terms of you know, charging, do you, do you charge the you know, regular law firm rates or these reduced rates or the the reduced rates are listed on our site and they are, I mean, reduced fee is probably not even a fair term. Probably nominal fee would be like the correct term because you know we're talking about drafting. You know, you know most um, most any project would be. Uh, you know, most projects end up between sort of seventy-five and one hundred and fifty dollars. So, uh, very low amount of uh, very very low fees for those uh, who do get charged. Well, that sounds good for um, budding entrepreneurs. But um, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll be talking more about the new media rights. Um, after these messages, you're listening to Cyberlon Business Report. Only on webmasterradio.fm. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. BubbleFast burst onto the e-commerce scene as a family-owned shipping supply provider back in 1999. The product line has grown, but Mark and Robin still own and operate BubbleFast as a family business. Being sellers themselves has taught them what online sellers need to safely and affordably deliver their products to their customers. BubbleFast is proud to be an active member of the community of online sellers. Mark and Robin sponsor seller meetup groups, share shipping tips and tricks through social media, and always love talking to customers and helping solve shipping challenges. Check out the website at BubbleFast.com. Sign up for the Bubble Briefs newsletter to join the Bubble Fast family. Use promo code WMR to get a 5% discount. Or call Mark and Robin at 877-599-7447. Happy shipping from Mark and Robin at Bubble Fast. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, seen other SEO experts, but did you know they can help you with PBC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. Looking for a better way to get more traffic and interaction to your Facebook page? Imagine Facebook interactivity on your page like you've never seen. Introducing your new Facebook marketing fix, So Social, the new and revolutionary way to easily manage and automate your Facebook contests and sweepstakes. Create a fun, easy-to-win contest by writing a simple Facebook post. Watch your post go more viral and generate loads of interaction. Track your traffic and generate email lists with ease. So Social is mobile-friendly and complies with Facebook terms of service. Let So Social give your Facebook page some flash today. Zoom over to zosocial.com. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back, and we're talking to Art Neal. He's with the New Media Rights, and um, it's a project he founded um, and prior to teaming up with um, California Western Law School, School of Law, and um, they've really made a mark in have really done a great job in, in terms of um, dealing with media issues um, for entrepreneurs in, in, in particularly Southern California, but uh, you know, serving clients nationwide. And um, Art, you, you, you mentioned that you have um, you've reached the thousand client point. Um, are there any success stories you'd like to talk about? Well, yeah, we have many, and we actually have um, some great cards that we rolled out over the summer as part of our one of 1000 campaign that are on our Twitter and on our Facebook and all these stories of folks that we've helped. I mean, I guess one, one, I often talk about this Jonathan McIntosh's case, which we worked on last year and was very popular in the media. Um, you know, that was a, that was a classic situation of some of the folks that we've helped with what I call content bullying. And I think that we're, um, really at the forefront content bullying. And in Jonathan's case, you know, he was doing a criticism. He's the, he's a remix creator who created the Buffy versus Edward 
which is sort of a juxtaposition of Buffy the Vampire Slayer against the Twilight character, Edward. <laughs> uh, and it's a critique of Twilight. It's a critique of Twilight. It's a very clever critique of Twilight. And Jonathan is very savvy and very used and, and knows what he's doing. And in fact, in 2012, you know, he stood before the copyright office and argued for a anti-circumvention um, uh, exemption in front of the copyright office by showing how important uh, access to works were to, to do his creative work. And the copyright office actually cited Buffy versus Edward in that proceeding as sort of an example of fair use. <laughs> and what happened later that year was that Lionsgate, when they actually took over ownership of Twilight, took that video down. Uh, and they basically, we went back and forth with them. It took le- nearly three months to restore but essentially, they told us, they, they played games repeatedly with the YouTube system, and a content ID system, and then sent takeouts. And I was basically told, and I, I detail this on our site, and it's detailed on, you know, in, in Forbes and in Ars Technica and things when the story was covered, that, you know, Jonathan either needed to, Lionsgate said Jonathan either needed to license the work or, uh, you know, they would be allowed to monetize it. Uh, sorry, that Jonathan either needed to uh, allow them to monetize the work on YouTube or he needed to take it down. And that was the two choices that he apparently had. Hmm. And, you know, our point is that in this day and age, certainly there's plenty of opportunity for content owners to monetize content and things like that. But there still needs to be room. There needs to be room for people to comment on the culture that's around us. It's one of the it's one of the really neat features of the internet and social media, right? Is the fact that I can read a book, but I can also read a thousand reviews and comments and insights about the book now on you know on various sites. And so, you know, that's um, that's something that's really important to our culture is the ability to kind of talk back and to criticize the culture that's around us. And so we're there working on that, and Jonathan's case was one of those. Uh, the other one was that I would mention is Michael Singh, who brought us a documentary film called Valentino's Ghost, which is all about the way that um, uh, folks from the Middle East have been portrayed in Western media for the last 100 years. And it's just, it's a phenomenal film. And I really, you know, even though it got into some film festivals and did very well, I wasn't sure how well it would do otherwise. But last year, you know, it got written up in the New York Times and the L.A. Um, uh, the LA Times and the Hollywood Reporter, and it, it became one of the final... It didn't quite get nominated for an Oscar, but it was in the final group before nomination, um, like the last 100 films. And that was really exciting to see a, a small bootstrap film like that uh, in this day and age. You can really create something that that's, uh, reaches a lot of people. It's very moving. That provides new insight on... On, on topics, and so that one was also really exciting for me. Now, you also get involved in policy. Um, you know, I've seen that you have had comments on net neutrality, and in addition, you, you have kind of a state transparency project. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, so, right, besides the serving a lot of folks that are underserved directly, we turn what we're learning around, and I think that's Another thing that makes us an innovative project is that we take what we're learning and instead of sort of keeping it to ourselves and, and holding the ball and, and um, uh, you know, not sharing that knowledge, we open it up. And that's, I mean, we're kind of, I, I call us almost an open law firm to, in, to an extent. You know, once we learn from our clients, we're not necessarily, we're not sharing any, you know, confidential information, but over time as we learn from 10, 20, 20, 30 people that that something's an issue, we will develop guides on on that, as you mentioned earlier, and we'll also do policy work. So all of our policy work is based on, you know, things that we're seeing on the ground. So, you know, as far as our two biggest policy efforts lately have been work on copyright reform, which the USPTO and Department of Commerce are, are looking at, and our work on net neutrality. And I'm finally, you know, after years of looking at this topic, and we've, we've been involved in the issue for at least five years now, and we've been part of the FCC's proceedings. I'm actually, I'm not speaking in that capacity, but I'm actually the co-chair of the Broadband Working Group at the FCC's uh, Consumer Advisory Committee. And, you know, my opinion, though, speaking from new media rights, I mean, the folks that we work with, the small-time creators, the small-time entrepreneurs, 
they absolutely, the people who do transformative innovation, those folks, they rely on an open internet. Um, and, you know, as far as net neutrality, I think we've got, you're, you're apparently sitting pretty there in, in Santa Monica with a hundred megabits. Yes. Uh, service. That's fantastic. I'm, I'm a little jealous of that. Uh, you, we don't even get that in our, in our office here, uh, anything quite close to that. So, you know, I think that we have, I think we've fallen behind in broadband. Yes, and I agree. Part of it, yeah, and part of it is the fact that we just, you know, there, there really is very little competition in that space. And we can't, we, for some people in certain spots, maybe in your spot, for instance, you know, there are maybe some world-class speeds and, and a little bit of competition. But for most people, there are not world-class speeds available and there is not very much competition. And so that was a lot of what we were saying in our net neutrality proceeding. And, I mean, that's something that's really, really important, I think. And part of it is, um, so if we don't have, you know, we need to find ways to improve competition. I think greater involvement of, of municipalities in doing dark fiber and then allowing private companies to use the dark fiber would be great. You know, Stockholm is sitting there with $35 a month gigabit access. Um, you know, so when you talk about, like, uh, Stockholm, for instance, if you talk about a virtual reality startup, you know, where are they going to go? I mean, right. if, they, if they can't have world-class speeds, you know, they're going to go to a place like Stockholm. Um, and, and so anyway, if, if you don't have a competition, then I think you, you need to provide at least some backstop. The FCC, if they're supposed to regulate communications, and the main means of communications in the 21st century is the Internet, yes. then the FCC at least needs to be able to say something about the Internet. Definitely. And are you concerned that um, Chairman Wheeler's a dingo? <laughs> I think John Oliver's explanation was probably the most accessible explanation <laughs> I've um, seen because these things quickly devolve into like arcane, you know, arcane yes. terminology, these discussions about net neutrality, which is unfortunate. But it, the devil is really in the details, frankly. Right. Um, I mean, as far as Wheeler, I mean, he said some he said some good things. I think the question is, you know, will the administration kind of step up? And, and uh, you know, he, he said that there is only one Internet, for instance. And if there is only one Internet, then, you know, uh, then we need to stop, for instance, treating wired and wireless so differently that, you know, and True. treat it as one Internet. Right. Um, and so I think that, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think there's still a lot of potential... I was excited since I've, I've actually um, seen Chairman Wheeler talk a few times directly to the Consumer Advisory Committee, and I think he's very technically knowledgeable, and I was very excited to see that, frankly, at the FCC. He, you know, he had a lot of great input, for instance, about the way the FCC provides and, and provides its information to the public, the way the FCC interacts with consumers and collects complaint data. And, and he kind of got down on the ground there and was interested in reforming that process. So I did appreciate that. Um, but in terms of regulating the Internet, I think it remains to be seen. So uh, it, what, you know, what is your guess of what's going to happen? You know, I'm not – right now, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm excited to see that Title II is actually, I think, much more on the table than it was even six months ago. Um, certainly than even a year or two ago. And I think the Verizon versus FCC case caused that. The Verizon versus FCC case said, look, you're going to try to rely on um, 706 authority, right? Not, you know, you're going to try to rely on this certain type of authority in the Communications Act. We're not going to let you. And so despite the fact that broadband provide, you know, it's kind of it's interesting because broadband providers, in a sense, they, they won that battle. But by, by sort of winning so much, or win, winning, they won so much that essentially the courts have said the FCC really can't do very much at all without reclassification. Right. And so they've kind of forced everybody's hand. And since the FCC has no teeth without reclassification, um, it'll, it, it really, to me, it gives reclassification more strength in terms of an option now because it's either... To me, it's either we do nothing and we, we say the FCC has no role in, in sort of providing 
getting any oversight of broadband companies, or we say that they have some role and we're going to back it up with Title II. And so, I, it, you know, it could go either way, but I'm afraid, and it's not about calamity tomorrow. You know, it's not like the internet is going to fall apart tomorrow without reclassification under Title II, but I do think it'll be a gradual chipping away. You know, it'll be the whole frog in the pot scenario where right. we don't really yeah. see that it's changed. When, when it's did that happen? Yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you on that. Although, um, it, let's assume he does go um, the um, if he, he does reclassify. Um, do you think he can sustain a, a Capitol Hill vote? Because um, you know, even without reclassification, you know, the Janikowski proposal was almost reversed. And um, you know, granted that the, the climate's a little bit different, but you know, I'm curious whether or not they, that would even survive. Well, I think if leaders from the party step up and, and say that it's really necessary um, as a as a basic means of, of um, you know, it's really necessary for basic community communications policy, then there there are leaders in both parties. I mean, there are some folks who, uh, uh, you know, you know, there's there. It's actually not really a partisan issue. There's actually some divide on both sides on the issue um, on on net neutrality. So I think there's a chance for folks across the aisle to get behind um, net neutrality. And I think we just need some of the leaders of the parties to step up. And it's it's difficult because there's so much. I mean, when you talk about the large communications companies, such as the Comcast, the AT&Ts, the Verizons, um, I mean, that's that's a pretty big, that's a pretty powerful lobby. Um, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of connections in terms of political candidates um, to some of these lobbies on both sides. And so folks need to step up and kind of say, look, for the good of the, the overall communications policy and to make sure that we don't continue to slip um, and to make sure that we regain status as a world leader in broadband because we, we need to be, um, that we're going to actually step up. And, you know, those, those companies are doing fine. That's the other thing. Like, they're, they're doing great. Like, they're, they're all making fantastic profits. Um, so... You know, the idea of just allowing the FCC to have the power to step in, if necessary, um, I think is a, is a pretty basic one, a pretty kind of, you know, frankly, um, something that should be really a no-brainer because we shouldn't be arguing about whether the FCC can step in. We should be arguing about sort of precisely what the FCC should be doing. And that's the whole problem with the debate. We're at that first step. Of just saying, should the FCC be doing anything? Instead of talking about, well, what particularly is the appropriate thing for them to do? Um, I, I thought that was an interesting um, post in um, in TechDirt. Um, it's a it's a interview recounting an interview with um, Tim Berners Lee in the Washington Post that basically says um, you need an open net to have a free market, and um, you know TBL says. A lot of congressmen say, well, sign up for the free market, you know, and feel that it's just something you should leave to go by itself. And um, he adds, well, yeah, the, the market works well so long as nobody prints money. So we have rules, okay? You don't steal stuff, for example. The U.S. dollar is something that everyone relies on. So that government okay. keeps the dollar a stable thing. Nobody steals stuff. And then you can rely on the free market. And that, that's basically what net neutrality is about. It's just allowing you know, an open... Um, platform so we all we all can compete freely and um so you know is the internet open will they have to effectively bribe their isps to start a new service well that you know that's not open and so um we only have a few minutes left but if you um, if people want to learn more about um the new media rights and um or even about the you know the law school um well, where would you recommend they go so if people want to learn more about New Media Rights or even ask uh, or request uh, legal services from us, you can go to newmediarights.org. It's newmediarights.org. And really we are, you know, Bennett, you asked about, you know, our fees and our pro bono services. The vast majority is, is free or extremely reduced fee services. And 
one of the ways we do that is by having individuals and organizations uh, who are supporters. It's, you know, it's, it's a model where folks kind of give what they can. And then at that moment that they arrive, they arrive at a situation where, gosh, I need to talk to an attorney. I need to understand what my rights are in this situation. We're there to help. And so that's, that's kind of how the model works. So, but yeah, you can check us out on mediarights.org and connect with us, of course, on social media uh, and to, to follow what we're doing day to day. Do you have anything coming up that um, people should keep an eye open for? Uh, Any sure. event? Well, speaking right here in or? Right. Uh, well, I am going to. I'm going to be up in L.A., it looks like November 8th, uh, speaking to the DocuLink group of documentarians. And so I think there'll be a big group of documentarian, uh, documentary filmmakers and even YouTube creators up there. I'll be talking about copyright and fair use and, and music licensing issues up in L.A. November 8th. And we'll, we'll have more details on that. And then for folks who might be down here in the San Diego area, October 9th, uh, there's a, a, a movie screening that we have posted on Facebook uh, of a film that we worked on about the how the San Diego music scene was the next uh, supposed to be the next Seattle in the early 90s, uh, and, and it's a great documentary all about that. Um, so those are a couple of things that are going on uh, in the near future. And my colleague Terry, near the end of October, I think October 21st, is going to be up in Ventura at the Alliance for Community Media, um, Western Regional Conference uh, to, to talk about the copyright interests as well. All right. Um, well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure. I'm sorry it took so long for us to get you on here, but um, definitely stay in touch. And actually, I may look you up on the 8th um, in L.A., or I may have actually have a speaking opportunity for you on the 9th. But um, any event, I want to thank you. And again, um, please um, check Check out their website and uh, our, thanks again. It's been a pleasure. Um, and we'll be back after these messages. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Before you. Art. Art, great job. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you guys so much. I was, it was a lot of fun and I appreciate it. Um, I'll be uh, in man. touch. Let me know. Speak. I hope contact. we can talk. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. I may have um, a, a group you could speak to if you're if you're sticking in town oh, okay. the day after. And uh, so, we'll, we'll make sure great. to get you a copy. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I'll let you, I haven't gotten the details from them on exactly where, where the okay. talk is. But, um, All right. Well, we'll yeah. we'll have, probably have this. This will be ready tomorrow probably. Although it'll be later today, and then we'll make sure to get you a link to the program uh, probably before the weekend. Great. Fantastic, and we'll get that out through our social media and everything. Thanks, Art. Appreciate it. Okay. All right. Have a good day. Well, you guys have a great day. Thanks, Art. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, Bennett, did you see that story I just threw in there about Stanford? Agreeing not to research. The, the originally, somebody put out saying that they were going to use Google dollars to for, for – they were asking Google for money for privacy research oh. and not denying it. Okay, yeah, just so they can be independent. That's interesting. Thought that'd be a good story to come back on. What Actually, I was going to go today, into man? the um, huh? uh, model mayhem. I don't know if you saw the uh, the blog post. No, but what's? Yeah, well, I, I'll, I'll uh... talking about models. You can't, can't beat that. Stalkers. <laughs> what do you say? Stalkers. Well, who's, right. who's talking? Hang on. We're coming back in now. Here we go. Okay. Of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're back, and uh, a hearty thanks once again to Art Neal and uh, the new media rights. Um, they're doing some great stuff there and definitely helping in a growing entrepreneurial community in um, Southern California, especially San Diego. So um, thanks again. Um, and, and do check out the website. It's a great resource for um, content issues. So we, we have a, a, some – the time we have left, we do have some, some news updates to, to report. And um, – 
everyone's buzzing over the uh, um, Alibaba um, IPO last week, which um, brought in, I believe, about $25 billion. And um, so what did people get for that $25 billion? Well, a little bit more than a T-shirt, but not, they don't necessarily own Alibaba. Because um, under Chinese law, it's illegal for foreigners to own stock in certain categories of companies. And Internet companies, for example, are off limits. And uh, so um, what they own, actually, is ownership in an entity that has rights to Alibaba's income. Um, and so hopefully that, that actually is um, what it appears to be. And it's not an illusory bargain. Because um, you know, twenty-five billion is not something you want to throw around. But um, there was a major decision that came out from the Ninth Circuit um, this week, and it relates to um, the ongoing tension between um, the Communications Decency Act Section Two Thirty immunity, which basically says that websites are not liable for um, content um, posted on their website by third parties. And so um, there's a website called Model Mayhem, and um, pe- people, it's a way for models and photographers and um, advertisers and, and booking agents, etc., to all find each other in, in, this, in this community um, and called Model Mayhem. And um, apparently there were some photographers who were using the site to troll and had and engaged in um, sexual assault on the models. And so the issue that went up to the Ninth Circuit um, was whether or not those um, they can pursue a claim saying that the website had a duty to warn um, about the risk uh, attendant with um, these um, with these type of events and uh, and, and these photographers. And um, we, we saw this happen, you know, a couple of years ago with the the whole dispute about whether Match.com had to disclose um, or at least you know, do something to check whether or not they had sex offenders on their site. And um, and so it was a closely watched decision. And um, basically, the Ninth Circuit um, decided that this is not about Section Two Thirty at all. And they said Jane Doe's failure to warn claim has nothing to do with the Model Mayhem's efforts or lack thereof to edit or remove user-generated content. The theory is that Internet brands should be held liable based on its knowledge of the rape scheme and its special relationship with users like Jane Doe for failing to generate its own warning. Um, Liability would not discourage Good Samaritan filtering of third-party content the core policy of Section 230 reflected in the statute's heading does not apply, and neither does the CDA's bar. And so, basically, it, basically even in you know non-internet situations, you know, if someone comes on your house into your property and you're aware of a danger, you have a duty to warn those who may come into contact with that danger. And this is just a basic common law principle that the court is applying here. So the question. Um, that some are concerned about is 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 this an an opening that's going to become abused and uh, you know that's yet to be seen but um, it's definitely a major decision and it's getting a lot of attention over the internet. Um, another thing getting attention over the internet apparently is that uh, Martha Stewart um, has confessed that she owns three drones and actually uses them to spy on party guests which raises the question, do you use a white drone after Labor Day? Um, Brasco, any thoughts on that? So, um, didn't think so. But <laughs> um, there's also, um, in a future episode, we're going to be talking about, um, we're going to be talking more about some of the growing tension that's developing with China. And there are reports um, China's increasingly becoming restrictive um, in its firewall, and it's becoming harder for foreign companies to do business in China. And, you know, something they were willing to overlook um, during the go-go days of the Chinese economy. But as the economy has slowed down and the pollution has gotten significantly worse, um, companies are starting to discover that they can actually do business 
from Singapore and still serve the Chinese market and other significant markets. And so um, it's really become an issue for them. But um, what's also happening is it was just a, a report that was released um, by the um, Senate Armed Services Committee detailing Chinese incursions into defense contractors here in the United States, particularly to transportation defense contractors. And um, that, that is just the latest in a slew of revelations of Chinese um, you know, army, um, the, the People's Liberation Army, actually engaging in um, cyber espionage directly from um, their opera, you know, operations. They've identified buildings in Shanghai where it is actually being conducted. So it's, um, it's definitely... Um, become an increasing concern and led to um, the unprecedented action this summer of the Justice Department actually indicting officers in the People's Liberation Army in China who had been identified in a report by Mandiant of cyber espionage that had been conducted from um, a, a building in downtown Shanghai. And so um, we definitely have to, re we're going to be revisiting this more. But it's not something that's just happening in the United States. Um, just a recent reports in Canada of a, a breach of a major research arm of the Canadian government. The Australian Prime Minister has been hacked. Major breaches in New Zealand, Japan, Germany. And so this is going to become an ongoing issue. And one business has actually tried to convert it into a trade issue that um, to the extent that the Chinese are trying to get an unfair competitive advantage by cyber espionage to use um, competitive information for their state-run industries, that this should be something sanctionable as a, um, as for trade barriers and warrant um, some trade tariffs. And so that, that is going to be something we're going to talk about a little further as this goes on. But um, it's definitely uh, it has become increasingly a source of conflict with the Chinese government, and um, and actually we had the when right before Snowden broke, the Obama administration was all set to confront China on this, but unfortunately Snowden just kind of took the wind out of their sails on that issue. But um, this is going to be an ongoing issue. And it's going to be one that is going to require a lot of attention. Um, at the same time, we have another record data breach here in the United States with um, Home Depot and uh, with former Home Depot employees talking about a lax security environment. Um, so um, that is we're still learning more about what exactly happened at Home Depot. But so far, what we heard hasn't been good. And so the, you have a, a Chinese government that's in other you know, predators out there, and it doesn't seem you know, we've, we've lost ground in terms of confronting China. We've also lost ground in, in Washington in terms of pursuing legislation to address and uh, increase cybersecurity. Um, and so you know, events like, I guess, you know, Home Depot are, are the result. And... Um, so how, how we regain the initiative there is going to be something we, we're going to have to address. But um, So I want to do a couple last shout-outs. Um, we want to do one last shout-out to Walter O'Brien. Congratulations. His um, The Scorpion show on CBS, which um, is, is somewhat based on his exploits as Scorpion and his company, Scorpion, and Walter was on one of our first shows and our first anniversary show talking about some of the same instances that were covered in um, the series premiere, which was actually quite a thrilling show. Um, apparently, it finished um, at outstanding ratings, and so it's off to a great start. So congratulations, Walter. Um, secondly, um, today is, this is um, Band Book Week, and we posted on our blog um, a list of some of the books that are banned, and you'd be surprised at what they are. Um, books that many of us have read and, and have quite, you know, hold dear. Um, so being aware of, you know, censorship that occurs in, in various levels of society is very important. So take a look at um, and, and acknowledge Banned Book Week. Um, maybe you should read one, a banned book this week. And lastly, um, 
57 years ago today um, the was the final out at what has been called the Cathedral and the Underdog, the uh, Ebbets Field in Brooklyn, home of the Brooklyn Dodgers. Um, Dodgers played their last game in Brooklyn today in 1957, beating the Pittsburgh Pirates to nothing. And then they moved here to Southern California, where its um, sky is Dodger blue. So, um, any event, um, one thank you for joining us this week for another edition of. Um, <laughs> Another edition of Cyber Law and Business Report. Sorry about that, Ben. I, I had to <clears throat> sorry to get you all get you all the chuckling, but yes, uh, take a look. It's in a book, a reading rainbow. <laughs> well, not I for that no week, I guess, with banned books, right? To, but <laughs> what is a reading rainbow? The book, the, the show with Lavar Burton, the, the PBS show for kids. Oh, the one okay. they're bringing back, as a matter of fact. So, um, yes, a reading rainbow. But um, so I want to thank everyone. I want to thank uh, Art Neal for joining us. And uh, we'll be back next week for another edition of the Cyber Law and Business Report. And uh, so until then, be safe and court is adjourned. We will see you next week. Um, till then, this is Bennett Kelly with Internet Law Center. Be sure to check out our blog, cyberlawradio.wordpress, for information on our guests and our program. Um, follow us on Twitter at cyberlawradio, and um, be sure to check out the Internet Law Center, my firm. Um, we're at internetlawcenter.net, and on Twitter at internetlawcent. Um, thanks again to Brasco, and um, so we will see you next week. This is Bennett Kelly. Um, happy Rosh Hashanah, everyone. We'll see you then. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.